This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. thing I already feel kind of like family is that okay I'm your I'm like your crazy LA sister person it's awesome you know I wish we had known you like when because we, we Philip and I've been pastoring for 34 years and the first few years I mean we didn't know anything what we were doing we were stupid like we did everything wrong I wish we'd known you then we could have at least encouraged each other we should have known each other then <sighs> well better late than never whatever <laughs> but I am so glad to be here um, I love a church that's filled with passionate people on a Wednesday night believing God for big things so thanks for being in church tonight and um, thank you so much for just inviting me to be a part of the family I actually never take it for granted when I'm entrusted with the platform in the house of God I'm a church builder I love the church. I think the church is the hope of the world. It is the way that we can actually bring change in our culture and community. And passionate to see leaders raised in the church to go out and influence culture. So thanks for being here. Why don't you turn to someone, give them a high five, have a seat. Thanks, team. You guys are awesome. I am here with my very pregnant daughter. Paris. I have a son and uh, Jordan and my daughter Paris and both of them kind of work with us, but she's my favorite because she's giving me my first grandchild. So that's how that works. (laughs) All right. Anybody uh, ever been in the middle of a hard time (laughs) where you felt like you were under pressure where you felt like there was so much coming against you, uh, you know, whether it's in your relationships or a job or finances. Do you know, I think who we really are comes out when we're under pressure. One of the most challenging verses to me, and this verse has actually never made it onto a t-shirt or a coffee mug or one of those refrigerator magnets. It's so annoying. Uh, James 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, whether it's financial or marriage or loss of job or medical diagnosis, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then it just says, and let perseverance finish its work. So then you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know what this tells me? A couple of things is that maturity doesn't come from how old you are or how much you know. Maturity comes from what you persevere through. Let's be those people. Let's let the pressure produce good things. So in, when we evaluate our leaders, whether it's, you know, scholars or historians or just the average person, the greatest leaders are determined by the magnitude of the crisis during which they led. It's like Abraham Lincoln for his direction at a time when our country was being ripped in two, or Winston Churchill for his guidance when England was at war, or Martin Luther King for when this country was divided. And when we go through difficulties, we think life is terrible, and it certainly feels that way, but it was the difficulties that these men faced that actually led to their greatness. And I just want to suggest that there is greatness within you and it will be revealed in the midst of the challenge you're going through. Greatness or its opposite 
is revealed in the midst of pressure. You know, at one point, the Apostle Paul was a a prisoner in Rome, and uh, he was imprisoned for his faith, and ultimately, he would be beheaded. And while he's there, he wrote some letters to the churches, some of which he had started. And many people call the books of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians the prison letters, the prison epistles. Well, in the last chapter of the book of Colossians, he encourages the people with three thoughts. Now, this is someone who's navigated some really hard, hard moments, and he's given his life for his faith in Jesus. So I'm thinking we should pay attention to the man, right? What is it that he's saying to us? And and to me, I think doing these three things will help us when the pressure is on. Are you ready? Doing these three things. Colossians 4, 2, it says, pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. All right, the first thing, he says, pray diligently. That, that word diligence means persevere. It means courageously persistent. It, it comes from a word meaning uh, persist in adhering to devotion. He's saying pray with devotion. It means that you are stuck like glue to the object of your devotion. You don't allow anything to come between you and the object of your devotion. Okay, so think about some of the things that you are devoted to. You know, your family, your job, music, football, you know, your favorite TV show, any This Is Us fans in the row? You know, you think about it, a truly devoted football fan cheers and screams at the TV when, you know, when their team is on the field. My mother, who's 81 years old, is a Dallas, she's a Texan, so Dallas Cowboy fan. Oh my gosh. When they are on, she yells at them and, and yells at the refs and she's cheering them. She gets up, she's a crazy person. She's devoted to the Dallas Cowboys. And then there, you know, there are some music fans perhaps who would camp outside the ticket gate so that they could be the first person to get tickets for the concert or to be the first ones to, you know, to see a movie that just came out. All right, I've only done that with one movie. The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. Any Star Wars fans in the room? I'm devoted. (laughs) I didn't care how long that line was. I was getting into the theater on opening day. And then later when all the prequels came out, my son Jordan was a young boy and we purchased quite a few of those Star Wars figures. And I said they were for him, but I was just as into them as he was. And then, you know, the last Star Wars movies I've seen a couple of times and I'm wondering along with some of you is, do we really know whose daughter Rey is? And why is Kylo Ren so mad all the time, right? Like just trying to figure it all out. I'm passionately devoted. Well, Paul says that that's actually the kind of attitude that we're supposed to have when it comes to praying. You know, maybe, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't pray. Or maybe in your home, prayer was more of you know, an obligation. Maybe it was something you should do. And so maybe you struggle to know what to say and you wonder if there's words you're supposed to say or scripture you're supposed to recite. Or, or maybe when you pray, you just find yourself being distracted. I mean, we're busy. We're in a hurry. We're moving fast. And so it's difficult to have the time or the space. Or maybe you just find your mind wandering to other things. Or maybe, if you're honest, you're a little cynical. Maybe you're a little suspicious about prayer. Because maybe you prayed for something for a long time and you didn't get the answer you wanted. 
And so you're left thinking, God, why didn't you do something about that? I imagine everybody in this room has a that that they prayed for. Some of you are still waiting for that. Some of you are still dealing with that. Some of you are sitting next to that. <laughs> and some of you may be wondering if, if God really cares, if he's listening. <laughs> Just look straight ahead. <laughs> but you know, if you look through the scriptures, regardless of what you think about the Bible or your religious background, if you just open up and look through the Bible, if you look at the stories, it's almost all a form of prayer. From Adam and Eve talking to God in the garden, the Bible is full of men and women who talked to their God and he answered. You know, Moses cried out to God and God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua's prayer made the sun stand still. Hello. Hannah's prayer was answered with a baby boy. Solomon got wisdom in answer to his prayer, Joshua's prayer brought him out of the belly of that big fish, and 10 lepers prayed and were instantly healed. And then the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. You know, a trip, honestly, a trip through Psalms can actually help us pray more openly because it's, it's as if we're overhearing David's conversations with God and realize that he was not afraid to be honest with his God. I mean, there's so many times he was, he was praying things like, help me. Listen to me. God, don't be mad at me. Where are you? And then there are times he goes, kill those people. <laughs> Anybody ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> so David, he boldly went to God with what was on his mind. So yes, God wants us to come to him with a clean heart and we need to approach him with reverence, but we don't have to be afraid to tell God what we're thinking and we're feeling. Amen. Be real with God. He knows it anyway. And you know, if you look at the life of Jesus, the one thing Jesus did more than anything else is he prayed. He was perfect, son of God, and he prayed. So I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should too. I mean, even when crowds would gather around him, even when life got busy and the demands were so intense, there were so many times he would withdraw and pray. He believed it mattered, which is why I think the disciples wanted to be students of prayer more than anything else. See, the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11 and they said, teach us to pray. Did you know that in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is only one recorded request of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything. And it's teach us to pray. I mean, think about that. They'd seen him preach amazing sermons they saw him heal people, walk on water, raise the dead, stop the wind and the waves. But not once in the gospels do we have a record of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to heal or preach or raise the dead or calm storms. Instead, they said, teach us to pray. Because maybe it's the prayers. They could see that it was in Jesus' prayers that that's where his power came from. That's where his sense of peace came from. And they wanted to learn how. So I started thinking, okay, so when should we pray. When should we pray? If we're supposed to be devoted to prayer, when should we pray? Well, James 5 says this, beginning verse 13, it says, 
Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are you happy? You should sing praises. Are you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So don't miss what James is saying here. He's saying no matter whatever the situation is, and I imagine in a room like this, there are many situations. He says no matter what the situation is, you need to be facing God and talking to him. Sometimes we'd rather complain and moan and talk to everybody else. We're saying, hey, talk to me. Talk to me. And so James highlights a few different scenarios. He's saying he's highlighting a few different times scenarios and we should turn toward God in prayer. And to help me with these few little scenarios, I have some emojis that are going to come up on the screen and help you remember all the times we're supposed to pray. All right. So the first time we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble, when things look kind of like this. (laughs) And that's not chocolate ice cream. (laughs) Now, you know, in the This is the only place in the entire New Testament where this particular word for trouble is used. And it means suffering through hard times, through tough times, not related to physical problems. So this is the time when there isn't enough money to pay the bills or when an earthquake destroys your home or your business or floods destroy Jesus. James is telling us to pray. It's like when your friend is acting like a jerk and destroying your friendship, James says, Turn to God in that time of trouble. When your marriage is at a rough place, when your child is hurting, pray. When the rug is being pulled out from under your life, pray. When you need help, pray. When you're confused, pray. When you're overwhelmed, pray. When you feel like your life is that emoji, pray. All right, so we're to pray when we're in trouble and we need help, and we're to pray when we're happy. When we're happy. You know, we we teach our kids to say thank you, when they receive something from someone, and that's great. We just want to make sure that we give thanks to God when good things come our way. And so in this verse, James is reminding those who are happy, those who are on the mountaintop, and if you're in this room on the mountaintop, good for you. So give thanks to God for that. Let me just say one of the lessons I've learned about life. Life is not mountaintop, mountaintop, mountaintop heaven. I wish it was. But really, it's mountain up, mountain up, valley. But you know what I've learned is that fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops. Fruit grows in the valley. All right. So if you're on the mountaintop, then you should be thanking God. So he's, he's saying, don't forget. You know, God doesn't want to just be there to simply lift us up in times of trouble. He also wants us to acknowledge his blessing when he's provided. And in this room, I imagine there are many people who have experienced God's touch. Anybody in here ever felt the blessing of God? Yes. Yes. So is anyone happy? Let him thank God. Okay, so we're to pray when we're in trouble. We're to pray when we're happy. And the next in that verse, it says we're to pray when we're sick. We have that little emoji. So our first response to any sickness should be prayer. Listen. Go ahead with whatever treatment you're going to take. But how about just pray first? Just first. Just first. 
Okay, so we're to pray when we're in trouble, when we're happy, when we're sick, and when we sin. Anybody ever made a mistake? Anybody ever missed the mark? I find sometimes what happens is that when we sin, now not you here in Clovis because you're perfect, but probably the Fresno campus, they have some people in trouble there. Um, Definitely the Salinas ones. Anyway, so, (laughs) told you I'm in trouble. But oftentimes when we sin, when we make a mistake, when we mess up, we're tempted to isolate and withdraw and pull back. And what he's saying here, he said, no, run to God. His posture towards you is always welcome home. It's never condemning or judgmental. Pray. Okay, so in all those situations, we should pray. And I'm thinking that just about covers everything. All right, back to Colossians 4, 2. It says these three things that Paul says that we're supposed to be doing. The first one was pray diligently. The second, stay alert. Stay alert. Luke 12 This is Jesus talking and says in verse 54, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the West, you say, here comes a shower and you're right. And when the South wind blows, you say today will be a scorcher. And it is you fools. Jesus just gets right to the point. He says, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. To me, what this is saying is I think we actually need to get good at interpreting the time that we've been entrusted with. You know, in Southern California, where I live, probably like you too, we don't really get to experience the seasons, do we? I mean, palm trees have never changed colors. And I've never built a snowman on my front yard. I mean, I live in perpetual spring and summer, and honestly, I'm good with that. But there are people who live other places that have learned to prepare for seasons, whether it's in Florida, you know, the hurricane seasons, or those who live, you know, in the north, still getting blizzards, you know, so much snow. I mean, they have to do things like, you know, winterize their garden. I don't even know what that means, right? They have to prepare. Well, the apostle Peter challenges us in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Alert. That word means vigilant, sleeplessly watchful. Now, I don't think it means we can't ever take a nap, but I do think it means that if we're going to be victorious in whatever area that God's trusting us with, we have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful to what's going on around us. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen the police shows on television where there's an officer and he's on a stakeout. And so the officer has to be alert and ready to catch the criminal that they're waiting for. They can't just sit in their patrol car and play video games. I mean, I'm sure, though, that in the very quiet, dark moments, it would be very easy to fall asleep. And I'm sure there are moments when that officer probably suspects that the criminal isn't coming. And I'm sure there are moments that they just want to leave. But what if they do? What if they fall asleep? Well, they'll miss what they've been sent there for. Maybe we are on a stakeout. We can't get distracted or fall asleep. We have to be alert to what we're here for. We have to be alert to the times, to what's going on around us. See, if God wanted you to be born in 1500, you'd have been born then. But for some reason, he chose you now. So yes, there has never been more pain and heartbreak and disease and famine and catastrophe on planet Earth than now, but he chose you for now. So he must think there's something in you that's going to be a part of the solution, right? 
So we have to be alert to what's going on around us. What's going on? What's going on around us in your neighborhoods, in your families, in your schools? What is it that's going on that is the reason that you're here? And then you have to be alert to what's going on within you, your own soul. 14 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it began that uh, very disgusting, annoying journey. And I did a lot of holistic treatments, you know, the natural kind of stuff. And um, one thing I did was spend a couple of weeks in a hospital that just kind of treated the whole body and asked different questions. And it was really awesome. But one of the things they did was they administered a stress test. So they hooked me up to this, this machine. And, and the doctor who was administering the test came to me and said, Holly, and how, how do you think that you're doing? How do you think that you are, you know, handling the stress of this? And I went, actually, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm confident. I know we just got this diagnosis, but I'm actually, I'm feeling good about it. And he said, okay, that's awesome. So he did the test. And then, um, you know, moments later after the test was finished, he comes back and he said, well, let me tell you the results. He said, the stress in your body is as if you're staring a roaring lion in the face. He said, the problem is that you don't know that. So you can't recognize what has created the stress in your body. So I had to learn to be alert to what was going on in my own body, the things that would bring stress to me. Now, that's different than perhaps for you. You know, I I do a lot of traveling. Traveling doesn't stress me out. Relational problems stress me out. So I have to learn how to process that. And it's different for everybody, but you have to be alert to what's going on within you so that you can actually be effective with the time that God has trusted you with. Does that make sense? Alert to what's going on with your children, with your spouse. You know, sometimes when you're driving, you know, have you ever just gotten home, you know, pulled in the driveway and you have no idea how you got there? Right? It's just like the autopilot thing kicked in. Stop that. (laughs) Pay attention. (laughs) You know, in driving, the mission is to get where you're going safely. And yet we text, we listen to music, we try to follow ways, you know, all these distractions. To stay focused, be alert to what's going on around you. Um, When my daughter, the one who's my favorite, um, is here with me. Um, When she was, I think, just... At the end of high school, uh, she was, maybe it was a New Year's Eve, I don't know, but she, yeah, I think it was, or New Year's Day, she was playing basketball, she's a, uh, a serious basketball person, and she was playing basketball with just friends late at night, and then they just kept, were playing, and she'd been up like all day, and so it's now one in the morning, and she's driving home after, you know, playing all hours and hours of basketball, and she fell asleep driving. And ultimately ended up totaling her car. I mean, the miracle is that she walked away from that. But see, she stopped being alert, which led to a crash. And I started thinking, how many times in our lives have we had a crash? And maybe it's because we weren't alert to what was going on in our jobs or our friendships or our marriages, our family. So the Apostle Paul is telling us to be focused and alert to what's going on around us. What's going on around you? Alert. All right, back to Colossians 4. The three steps the Apostle Paul is giving us to handle the pressure. He says, pray diligently, 
Stay alert. And the last one, with your eyes wide open in gratitude. The third one, determine to be grateful. You know, everyone wants to be grateful. Who wants to be ungrateful? Right? But the question is, what's your plan to become a more grateful person? How are you going to do that? Because nobody just drifts into gratitude. We have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We say thank you when someone does something for us, or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think we'll be grateful to the extent that we receive things, or the more good things we have, the more grateful we'll become, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. And gratitude is always a decision of the heart, not a result of circumstances. I mean, if you ever notice that two people, two people can be in the same situation, You know, the same job, the same school, the same church, the same long line at Starbucks. And one of them is filled with gratitude and the other is just a whiny, grumbly mess. Maybe it's because what some people perceive as a right, someone else sees as a gift. You know, at least six times Paul speaks of gratitude in this very short letter to the Colossians. And and then in another letter, he teaches us that gratitude is the will of God. First Thessalonians 5, he says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. A thankful heart, a grateful heart is more than a good idea. It is the will of God for his people. See, so many times I get asked, probably the number one question I get asked as a leader and a pastor is, how do I figure out what God's will is for me? What what can I do? Please tell me what God's will is for me, as if it's some mystical cloud that's going to descend on you. Well, right here, step number one, be grateful. This is God's will for you. Quit trying to go, oh, I'm just trying to find the will of God for my life. Oh, where's the wind blowing? No, and oftentimes we're paralyzed. We can't take the next step because we feel like we have to have the whole journey. And God is saying, step one, be grateful. Just be grateful. This is God's will for you. Be grateful. Be grateful. Right now, so why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just say thank you. Look, you're in God's will right now. Amazing. (laughs) I don't know what could possibly help. Maybe maintaining a gratitude journal instead of just journaling all your confusing feelings. Maybe at the bottom of every page, just, you know, write one thing you're thankful for. Or before you get out of bed in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, just say one thing that you're thankful for. Just one thing. We have this jar in our house. It's this glass jar And uh, my husband got it as an exercise for us because we were, about four years ago, we were in probably the hardest 18 months, two years of our life and of ministry. Four years ago, my, and it started with four years ago, my father um, dying suddenly. He fell and hit his head and had a brain bleed and just pretty much died very quickly after that. And and my dad was a hero to me. He, I was loved very well by my father. And I'm aware of how, 
um, perhaps unusual that is in the culture. So many people's dads are not that. And so I was really grateful for my dad. I love my dad. And so it was heartbreaking for me. I just was grieving the loss of my father. And then right after that, Phillips and my identity got stolen. And they hacked kind of into his email account. And because of how they did that, then they started communicating with banks and bookkeepers. And they just stole our savings account. And because, I mean, the FBI got involved in all of that. And because of how it was done, the bank actually wasn't liable. So we never got that back. So grieving the loss of my father, and then we have this financial loss, and, and then my husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And so we undergo the treatment for the cancer and, you know, just processing all of that. And then the treatment so compromised his immune system that he, he, he had no immune system, and then he gets shingles, and he gets like the worst case of shingles the doctor's ever seen, and he can't really function or walk for four months. And you... You men are, like, amazing. <laughs> like, until you're sick, right? When you're sick, it all's, no. I don't know what goes on. But now, granted, he had more than a, a cold, so it was a pretty intense thing, yes. So for me, I'm, like, trying to help him, navigate him, and then and, and deal with church and just all the stuff. So there's just boom, coming at us. So dealing the loss of my father and the financial loss in the midst of this. And then, you know, my husband just the, the, dealing with that big cancer diagnosis and trying to figure out how to walk through that. And, and then I have to walk my daughter through a pretty heartbreaking situation during that time. And, and then there are some people who, who should have had my back in the season when I was my most vulnerable, my most, my weakest, some people who I had extended grace to when they had been a hot mess and I actually didn't get that back. So there are some people who should have had my back and ended up stabbing me in the back. And then just processing the betrayal of just some really close friends. It's painful, and I'm the relational girl. I'm all about friendships and people, and so it was really hard. And to be honest, I could, I started to get cynical about people and bitter and uh, it was not good so Philip he gets this jar and he puts it in our kitchen he says here's what we're going to do and he puts this little stack of post-it notes next to it he said every day we're going to come down here and we're going to write something we're grateful for and we're going to put it in that jar amazing like he's the Christian in the marriage right (laughs) every marriage should have one right (laughs) so he did that and I was not feeling it and uh but I come downstairs the first morning and I'm looking at this jar and those really colorful post-it notes and I, I got nothing I got nothing oh I don't want to do this this is really stupid oh I'm staring at it. Okay, I pick up the pen, and I'm like, what is one thing I'm thankful for? What? Coffee. (laughs) Anybody thankful for coffee in here? Right? Okay. The next day I come down, nothing. Coffee. 
Third day I come down, I'm on a roll now. Coffee. <laughs> the fourth day I come down, I go, oh, I can't do coffee again. I already did it. Um, I look up and I look out the window and go, oh, sunshine. 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 I mean, that's, we live in sunshine, don't we? So it's not that hard. And then the next day I came down and it's probably sunshine again. Until eventually, little by little, it became my family, my church, the love of God, people. And let me just tell you, I never felt it. It was a decision of my heart. It was an act of my will. So let me just ask you, why don't maybe we create a list of benefits in our life and ask ourselves, to what extent am I taking these for granted? And instead make the decision to be grateful. Now give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for this circumstance, but in the middle of this horrible thing where you might find yourself, give thanks for something in the middle of it. Because remember, when the apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians, he was in prison, in prison, not the best situation. And yet that letter is so filled with gratitude. There's a man named Dr. Dale Robbins, and he writes this. He said, I used to think that people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I've come to realize they have problems because they complain. (laughs) Complaining does not change anything. And it doesn't make situations better. All it does is amplify frustration. It spreads discontent and discord. Complaining makes us miserable. And the writer of Psalm 77 said this, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You know, Paul's life was filled with uh, so many challenges, difficulties that he could complain about. I mean, how many of us would have put up with the constant stress, confusion, persecution, shipwrecks, imprisonments, beating that left scars, permanent injuries, and still the man was grateful. How? Because Paul had learned an important secret to life. Philippians 4, he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. we love quoting the last part. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love walking. That's, that's always a good refrigerator magnet. We love quoting that. But what was the secret to being, con- the secret of being, having everything, being able to do everything was being content in any situation. I can do all things through Christ. I can be content in any and every situation. That's the secret. See, he had learned the secret of not living life based on the conditions around him. He could be content in prison and at home. His contentment was not based on circumstances. It was based on his relationship with Jesus. He knew that he had all he needed in him because it was Christ who gave him the strength for life. So God is saying to us, hey, family, 
Don't wait to be grateful. Don't postpone gratitude until your situation changes or until you've acquired a certain thing. Because if you can't be grateful now, you won't be grateful then. Because gratitude is not a matter of what you have or what situation you're in. See, if you've been saying, I'll be grateful when, then you actually never will be. Because when that condition is met, there'll just be a dozen more to take its place. If we can't be grateful now, we won't be grateful then, no matter what we get. And so for me, kind of right on the tail end of that really challenging season, I said, you know what? I'm going to learn to give thanks, even in the midst of the things I most often complain about. So somehow I was talking to us, Holly, we're going to, the things we most often complain about, let's turn it around and give thanks. So here's my list. I'm just saying maybe you should have a list too, right? Here's mine. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm grateful for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. Listen, if you've navigated cancer, you're grateful for bad hair days. (laughs) I'm grateful for my water bill because it means I can get water from a faucet. I've been to nations where they pump wells. In fact, my daughter Paris lived in Uganda for six months and washed her clothes in a bucket from water she pumped in a well. So I'm grateful for that water bill because all I have to do is go. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are fairly small. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. I'm grateful for all of the noise and talking I hear about our government because it means we have the freedom of speech. I'm grateful for jet lag because it means I have friends and places worth flying across the world to see. Grateful. And I'm grateful for the alarm that went off very early this morning because it means God's trusted me with another day. I'm grateful. So I don't know what it would be for you. But maybe the things that we find ourselves most often complaining about, maybe it's a situation at work or health or people, or I don't know what it would be for you. But I'm just saying, how about we flip it and find something in the midst of that to be grateful for? Is that all right? And I just want to pray right now for a couple of groups of people. Uh, just because I know there are some of you, and you're in that valley. There's some of you on the mountaintop, and, you know, good for you. Your valley turns next week. 
but that's how it is. <laughs> but some of you, you are in the middle of just challenge, whether it's, you know, at work or in a relationship or school or family. It's just... You know, it doesn't have to be the big thing like that season I was describing. There's all different kinds, but you just, yeah, you're just in the middle of it. What I'm so glad is, is that you came in here tonight. You're here. And it's actually here where healing can happen, here where faith is built up. Now, the thing about Christianity is that it's a personal decision, but it's always lived out in community. Christianity is not practiced in isolation. It's practiced in family. And so here you are. And so maybe you're in here and you're just in the middle of, you know, stuff. You're in the middle of your valley. It's a normal place to be, perhaps. We all can be there. But I just want to pray for you. So if that's you, if you're in the middle of the valley, can you just put your hand up just so I can see it? Just put it up. Okay, just, just keep it up for just a second. So can I just have somebody near each one of these people? Just put your hands on them. Don't be weird. Weird Christians are annoying. Don't be weird. Just put, put your hand on it. The Bible says, I just read that in James, you know, put our hands on each other and I'm going to pray and you're putting your hand on them. It's just an act of faith and we're believing God for wisdom and peace for this person that your hand is on. Right? Everybody have somebody's hand on them? Okay. Father, I pray right now. I pray for each person, each man and, and woman in here who are just in the midst of challenge. And God, you know their name, you know the situation, you know the circumstances of their life. You know who they are. They are not lost or forgotten. And so I thank you, God, that right now in this moment, they will sense your peace. And I thank you, God, that whatever plans the enemy has over their life, that they will fail and your plans succeed. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation in their life. I speak to their bodies and I tell them to be made whole and be made well. Every, every disease cell, turn around in Jesus' name. Be made whole and be made well. I thank you, God, for reconciliation in relationships where there has been division. I thank you, God, that you are the reconciler, that you are the bridge builder. And I just pray, God, for reconciliation in relationships. And I pray, God, for just peace in jobs. I know there's probably some tensions and just some worry, and I just pray for peace and jobs. And I know there are people who are struggling financially, and God, I ask for your favor on their life, just abundant, beyond, over-the-top favor, that their, that their job, they would receive that favor. I thank you, God, that the seeds that they've sown, that now would be the harvest. I thank you, Father. Have your way in their life in Jesus' name. No weapon formed against them will prosper in Jesus' name. Have your way. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And I thank you, Father, that this is a a community of people who don't have to pretend they can just be real with each other. They need help, they get help. They ask for it. They say, pray for me. I thank you that that's the environment that's created here. And I thank you, God, that as a community, we will mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Favor and blessing over these people in Jesus' name.
And I thank you, God, that in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the pressure, they are praying diligently, they are staying alert, and they are grateful. Have your way, Lord Jesus. And maybe everybody could just close your eyes just for a moment. Just to eliminate distractions. I don't know most of you in this room, and I don't know what your experience with God is like. Maybe there's some of you in here and you've never actually made your peace with God. You've never surrendered your heart and your life to the God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for every failure in your past, to offer forgiveness and to give you a future filled with hope. Maybe you've never actually received the love of God like that. Or maybe there's some of you in here and maybe at one point you were following Jesus, but perhaps you just got weary. Maybe like me, you're just in the middle of such a hard season that if you're honest, you have to say you're not 100% following Jesus. Maybe you got offended or tired. I don't know. But you lost that passion for him. Maybe that's you. So if you're in here and for the first time you want to say yes to Jesus, surrender your heart and your life to this God who loves you so much and has a plan for your life, then tonight's the night. Or if you're in here and you know it's time to get back up. Get back up and once again begin following Jesus. Let go of the hurt and get back up again. Sometimes people say, well, Holly, I have, let me just get my life together first and then I'll come to God. It doesn't actually work like that. He loves you just how you are, just the way you are. He loves you. His arms are open to you. So if you're in here for the first time, you're saying yes to the love of God, or if you're in here and you know it's time to get back up and again, follow Jesus, then I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm just going to pray for you from up here. So if you're in here and for the first time you're saying yes to Jesus or you know it's time to get back up and begin following him. I'm going to count to three and then just put your hand up so I can see it and then put it back down. That's it. I'm just going to pray for you from here. So if you're in here and for the first time you're saying yes to the love of God or you're in here and you know it's time to surrender to him. Just put your hand up when I count to three. One, two, three. That's awesome. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three. God, I think I see about thirty-five hands. But you know exactly who they are. And uh, I thank you, God, that old things pass away. And all things are new. They are a new creation. You are the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth. I thank you, Father, that they were brave enough and humble enough to lift their hands, acknowledging their need for you. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and we're all going to pray together. And those of you that raised your hands, you're praying this along with us and you're believing these words in your heart as you pray it, but we're all going to pray it together. Everybody say, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And from this moment on, I choose you. I surrender my heart and my life 
to Jesus. Amen. So good. So good. Welcome to the family. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.